everybody, and welcome to the Pro Detailer Podcast. We are back after a little hiatus. Uh, we have been, uh, obviously, writing issue 13, and that's all come out. So now we're back on kind of series two, if you like, of the podcast, but more about that later. We are joined by our celebrity guest of the day, Mr. Paul Townsend. Good morning. How are you doing, Paul? I'm very good, thank you. You? I'm surviving, surviving. We've also got uh, the old favourite, Ian. Hello. Um, and I still can't get in my head that a hiatus is a type of Toyota. Uh, no, that's a high ace. Oh, okay. I uh, thought it was a plant. Oh, oh, it is. A, oh. Will somebody water me hiatus? So this detailing podcast that we're doing. <laughs> um, well, Paul is joined now. I'll just give you a little bit about background on Paul. Uh, I mean, not the full CRB, uh, but generally, uh, Paul has been in the industry a very long time. When did you start, in fact, Paul? Uh, early 2000s. Early 2000s. And what did you do before that? Uh, I uh, Straight before this, I ran a printing firm. I was general manager of a lithographic printing firm. Okay, you. Which was not even half as exciting as it doesn't even sound. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, before that, I worked for Thames Valley Police. I was on uh, on the nines, answering the 999s. Crikey. Um, yeah, and before that, I was in sales. Brilliant. So you're, you're older than you look then? During the war, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Crimea. Um, so uh, you originally started uh, with Shine On, didn't you? I did, yes. And yeah. you're known as Shine On Paul. Yes. Which I always thought was sort of kind of like Jesus in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> um, and your big kind of early claim to fame was an appearance on the telebox. It was. Um, and it was fifth gear. It was. And uh, I remember, have you had one or two appearances on that? Two. Two. Because I remember there's one that involved uh, Vox Lastras. That was the first one. So that was with Tim Shaw. Yes. Um, Is he a nice person? He was very funny. Yeah. He was tiring. He was like a, somebody who was just overly full of sugar from about half past four in the morning and, wow. until quite late that evening when we finished. I like when somebody said, oh, is he nice? And you just go with a completely different adjective just to, <laughs> just to avoid you. <laughs> yeah, to avoid he, highlights. He was, he smelt lovely. <laughs> he, he was just a bit of an energy bomb. Yeah, well, I suppose that's what you need in telly. Yeah. And uh, the second, remind me what happened the second time around. Uh, that was with Johnny Smith. Who's lovely. He is a legend. He really is a lovely guy. Um, my hero. Basically. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we, we had a, a Rolls Royce press car, um, and we were talking about new car preparation and the benefits of doing so and why it's necessary and whatnot. So yeah, and I remember you got waxed up for that, didn't you? Well, the car got waxed. The car got waxed. Yes. Yeah. yeah be specific. <laughs> Details are important. So um, all this showbiz. Did you find that that made a massive difference to your business? Uh, no, n- not really. No, it, it didn't. It's not as though loads of inquiries came in the the, the door as a result of it. Um, I guess it added some credibility. Um, people would see it, and, and I think people were booking cars in without any particular realization. And, and on a few occasions, I turned up, and people were like, "Haven't you been?" Didn't I see you on the telly? There was a bit of that going on. Uh, and they knew it was like fifth gear and not crime watch or anything like that. Well, I, that's the trouble. I think they were searching their brain as to why I was familiar, but the worry <laughs> until they clocked what it was. Those efforts are never accurate anyway. <laughs> no, I was getting mistaken for Anne Robinson. It, um, it served a bigger purpose just for friends to take the mickey out of it, actually. So. Yeah, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. And I mean, it's well known. I it's, mean, Bert, Bert was on Love in the Countryside. Um, um, very, very briefly. Kate it, Humble. It didn't go very Rumble. <laughs> As you know, it was the other one. Who was that Radio 1 DJ during the 90s? Sarah Cox. Right. That's the one. I just get, I just love that you've probably missed, you've, uh, you've messed up with the, the long meet thing that Kate Humble did. That, that's, that's a different <laughs> love in the countryside. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Yes, I was. But it was also on that park. one. <laughs> they did always say lock your doors. Can't go in the penguin enclosure again. No, not after last time. Um, <laughs> um, but now, of course, you're not Shannon Paul. You're auto curators. I am. Which is a. I really like the name, and you've got a, a fancy pants logo. And uh, avid followers of the magazine will have read, I believe, issue four where you featured, and uh, you're talking about rebranding. Mm. Um, and I think obviously it was a really good job. I, I like what was done. Thank you. Um, what did you kind of? What was the process? What what made you think you needed to? And how did you go about it? So there were other people involved in the business at this point. I had some some help, some mentoring, um, and some investment. And it, it was part of a project to to make us bigger, effectively, um, and with a view to being able to scale the business. Um, and we talked about it. We asked just some ask some opinions. It's sort of normally the easiest place to start is mm-hmm. ask some customers, ask some friends, and and ask for an honest opinion of what do you think of this? Could it be better? Um, and yeah, we, you know, we felt it needed to uh, a bit of help to, to scale up. So um, we thought of the name. So auto curators was something that appealed to us. We were trying to um, tell people a little bit about what we do. Curators, by definition, is a keeper of fine things. A curator is. Yes. So it was that 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 it conjures up an image. And I think um, there are some really clever names out there for businesses for in our industry. Yeah, splash mobile valeting reflections. Mobile valeting. Uh, th- yeah, <laughs> but there are also some that are very clever, but they don't tell people what you do. Mm. And if you don't know what detailing is, I mean, I. I think it's fair to say the, the public know what valeting is. Mm-hmm. But if you're using the word detailing, um, still a lot of people don't know what it is. And and those that do and book you, that's great. But you're also trying to appeal to those that don't know that you, they can benefit from your services. And getting that across to somebody that it just needs to twig in their brain. If I, uh, could I benefit from that? Mm-hmm. Who are they? What do they do? Um, I, I think that's important. It's intriguing. Part of me thinks that also, it's, if you ever want to go into car storage, it would be quite a good name as well for that. It does work work on multiple levels it's there's yeah. there's, there's other yes and that that was that that's part of the the, the bigger picture at the time not, not that i've got any particular plans to at the moment but it, it, it is flexible um mm. so it to help us with that um we used a brand consultant um so going to him with the concept of the business and kind of what we wanted to achieve where we wanted to be um and gave him a free reign to design us a brand. How will we appear? Mm-hmm. How was it? How would it work? And it was quite a bit of money, wasn't it? It, it? it was. We got quite an advantageous rate because one of the chaps involved in the business had spent an awful lot of money with him rebranding his business, his, which is completely unrelated to, to our industry. Um, but the chap was, he was intrigued. He's not a car guy. And I mm-hmm. really liked that. And we went to him and said, we are a startup business. I don't have a huge budget, um, but we need some help. Um, would you be prepared to? And I, I certainly wouldn't expect to do that for free because I won't do work for free, but we, we sort of discuss budget. Um, and it was kind of four figures. So it was, it was a healthy investment. Uh, yes, yeah. it was. It, it, it was a, a noticeable sum of money. And it's, it's quite a risk going with a... <clears throat> going with a company that's not involved in the industry if you like because a, a lot of the time if you look at some of the the automatic copy that's written for a lot of these websites that yes. they try to write about detailing and they miss the mark by by 100 feet half so, the time it's in latin lorem ipsum, lorem ipsum. Yeah. but but the flip side of that 
is that in looking to appeal to people who aren't my customer already, then I'm getting the view of somebody who he drove a nice car, mm-hmm. he had a nice Audi, mm-hmm. and he was intrigued by what we did. So whilst he's not a car guy, when he started to understand that if we treated his car that he spent a lot of money on, it would suddenly look fabulous and be easier to look after, and all the benefits that we know about, he was interested. It's effectively getting your customer to write your, their own advert for you. A, a little yeah. bit, yeah. Just it, I just wanted it to it, that, that input from somebody who didn't... It, it, you know what it's like? When you're too close to something, you'll mm-hmm. make assumptions about what other people know or other people think. Whereas he was coming at it from a different point of view of whilst we'd understand, we'd explain to him um, who our, our ideal demographic was. Um, and, and I guess he, he was somebody who was within that, you know, as a, as a reasonably affluent sort of disposable mm. income with a nice car owner. Um, yeah, he didn't know that he could benefit from what we did. He didn't know about what we did. What's that actually brings up a really interesting topic, which is we kind of assume that all those with nice cars are car people. And I'm seeing more and more people who have got cars slightly as a status symbol, maybe, or just because they like nice. Maybe by that definition, you're not a car person. Uh, that's 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 <laughs> cutting. Um, uh, but you know, more, more to the point, and, and equally, having something shiny. Um, I mean, for example, I've helped quite a few people buy cars as friends, family, that sort of thing. And you'd be amazed. I, I find the perfect car with a great service history, absolute the spec that they need, and all the rest of it. And they're like, oh, but I don't like the colour. And it is a very visual thing. And, and, you know, detailers provide that shiny, squeaky thing, you know, and that is actually something a lot of non-car people want. So I, I think that's it's probably, I don't know, something people should perhaps consider a little bit more is, is non-car people, mm-hmm. um, as, as I think there are probably more non-car people than there are car people. Well, but equally, just because somebody has got a nice car, uh, even what you might consider a... a, a an enthusiast car, a connoisseur's car. You know, they've gone to the trouble of buying a Porsche, an Aston Martin, something that you think needs a bit of choice. They don't, they're not that fussed. No. They they don't automatically assume that they're going to be interested. They're quite happy to chuck it through the local local scratch and shine. uh, Yeah, and people like me sidle up to them in the car park and ask them about how many valves they've got. They just call call the police. These are the people that are putting snow chains on the front wheels of a BMW, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and just uh, there was a uh, dribbling oil over the engine when it said it was low on oil, as if it was a salad. I thought that was a that was a giggle. <laughs> One of our neighbours, we, we I found her frustratingly trying to top up the oil in her car, um, making a complete mess. I mean, she's a teacher; she's a very intelligent lady. So I'm not suggesting she was daft, yeah. but she was trying to use the dipstick tube <laughs> to fill the oil um, with <laughs> you know, predictable results. So yeah, you don't ever assume anything. At least it was through the fuel cap. Although that yeah. worked, that would have worked my Audi. Yes. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Um, so yeah, rebranding. Um, it's something if you are, you know, running your own valeting detailing company, and I know lots of people do like to kind of jazz up or update their brand. Some people like to go completely different, but it's it's worth thinking about a third party. And I think the other takeaway from that is talk to other people, mm. not necessarily uh, people who are just going to say yes to everything, um, but also people who might represent your customer base better than you do. Well, again, it's it's an article. We, we've been writing a rebranding article for the last four issues, I think now. Yeah. Because every single time we think, oh, okay, yeah, we've got we've got quite a good uh, quite a good little comparison going on here. Um, they change their branding again. I yes. think at, at one point the the article featured Dodo Juice and Crankalicious, and then Dodo Juice updated <laughs> their branding yep. after the whole thing was, oh, they haven't updated it in ages, and then they go and do it and completely ruin the uh, the article. Yeah, and Starlogloss have changed their labels as well. Polish so, yeah. Bliss, we did uh, yeah. I, we did a, a huge bit on on their sort of rebrand, and then they got 
swallowed up by. I think they're still polished. Blitz, they are still, still polished, but they're, they're part of the Clean Your Car Empire, which is also Shop and Shine, Polish Bliss, yes. and just about everybody else now. It's all just one huge empire. Um, so yeah, no, we will we will complete that branding article. Maybe, maybe before t- t- 15, yeah, six. 15, 16. It'll 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 happen this minute. Just keep buying it, and yeah. you and, might get lucky and see what happens. Um, and the other interesting thing you brought up there was third party involvement slash investment in your business. Mm. And a lot of people, uh, I think, get into this industry because they're their own boss. But quite a lot of people are limited. They say, oh, I can't possibly have a unit. I can't possibly have this, this and this because it costs too much, which is totally fair enough. But if you bring in a third party to bring some money into it, and they may or may not have a say in how you run the business, but you've certainly got to kind of sell it to them and and provide some usually financial sort of incentive. Um, What's your experience of of working with investors and how's that kind of helped or hindered you? So it's been a really useful experience. Uh, um, I suppose I've put that slightly tactfully, uh, and I mean to. It's had its upsides and downsides. It's it's not been all, all, all plain sailing. And I will say that at this time, I've bought my investors out I, I, mm. I own the business completely again do you mind if I ask how many you, you had at sort of the, the, the height of it as it uh, were so at the for the founding shareholders effectively there were five of us um, and it wasn't just about money it was about what they bring and, and this this is what I would like people to think about so it, it's come up occasionally in PVD people have asked me people have, have sort of known that I've had other people involved in the business and they've phoned and asked so I there are far bigger issues than just putting money in and if you're just after money with a view to like capital investment with a view to getting a unit or mm. buying a plot or, or buying a, a dry ice machine or you, you know whatever it is that you you need think about other ways what do you want out of that if you just want money then seriously consider going and securing finance go and think about a bank yeah. loan you talk to your to your your, your, your business bank um, supplier um, to me somebody being involved in your business that's a big thing um, and you need to have a really good discussion with them beforehand to understand very clearly what they want out of it and what you want out of it and what you expect and it needs to be set out I mean there are all sort of legal documents shareholders agreements all sorts of things that can be put in place Um, and they're really useful and and I think that step to very clearly understand who does what who wants what Mm -hmm. who's expecting what is absolutely vital because without that there will be tears absolutely will be tears so if for example they're putting in a sum of money but you want them to open doors that that for example you know they they know people and and they might be able to make introductions for you that you would never otherwise get that's the value it's not the The, money Mm. yes it's not the money that, that they're putting in that's the value um uh, you know, and you get into another whole conversation about valuing businesses and whatnot. I mean, I, I, I'm no expert in that, and, and that, that's a really difficult uh, conversation. And I, I think within, again, within our industry, where a lot of stuff isn't based around contracts, it's very much goodwill. You, you can't really price that. You, you can't. It, it's another conversation. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discourage people from having that conversation because I think there's a lot of people with affluent, successful customers that 
say, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't mind putting a bit in or helping you out or being involved. That That's not an uncommon scenario. Mm. But just be really clear on what you want out of that. It sounds great and it could be great. But yeah, it, who, who's, how, how is it going to work? That's that's the mechanics of it. What do you think to, with working with families, is that a yay or a nay from you? I think that's going to have to be a very individual um, thing. My wife, very kindly, did all our books um, VAT returns, you know, uh, yearly returns and whatnot. Um, she's in financial services, so it, it, she's minded in a way that I am absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was great, but equally there'd be the frustrations of, you know, wh- wh- what have you done with that receipt? Where's that invoice? Mm-hmm. I, I asked you for that a week ago. Where is it? Yeah, you know, and that, that can be uh, awkward. It can bring work home, I guess, a bit. Uh, you're never yeah. away from it's it. It's very difficult to ignore an email. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't le- get, I it's didn't even get more difficult to ignore your wife at the dinner table. <laughs> where, where you email. That, that's that's the really difficult one. Um, but but yeah. But for for other people, I mean, I I, I know uh, sort of you know detailers that work with their partners and whatnot, and it works really well for them. Mm. It, it wouldn't for me personally. Um, but yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting thing. Um, on the kind of last, we, we'll take a little break shortly, but on the last topic, kind of businessy topic, so to speak, is franchising. Mm. So I get asked a lot of the time uh, with my PVD hat on uh, of people wanting to basically expand their business, be it by employing somebody, uh, be it by um, creating a franchise. And I always, myself, recommend against franchising because they don't realise how much work is involved in setting it all up. And trust. Uh, there's trust as well. Um, and there's only so much that a piece of paper and a contract can can garner. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, it boils down to the human being. Yeah. Um, and also, it all, as I say, boils down to the quality of the franchisee, in my experience. Because I've seen, you know, we've had quite yep. a few members who have run franchises with mixed success. Um, I can only think of one or two two that are still going and and yielding fruit and seem to be running nicely. Um, And I can think about five or six that are no longer. Um, Give us a brief rundown of your kind of franchising experience and any advice you have for our listeners. Um, Definitely not something to be undertaken lightly. I I, I think (laughs) there are people out there that have got another guy in a van using their name and and it's it's a franchise in the loosest sense um, of it. Um, I, I think... Our experience has been far more hard work than I was expecting, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. Um, The initial part of it, when we were writing the operations manual, one of the key things that underpin this is documenting your business. It's, it's It's a user manual for your business. And it was a really good thing. I mean, it soaked up hundreds, if not thousands of hours between my wife and I to, to, to document this. And it kind of that, you know, it's like, like your, your homework, doing your homework. Where do you start? You have yeah. to start somewhere. So it's probably quite a good process in itself, can you reflect on what you do it, and it, it works, have introspection. Yeah, yeah, because you go through everything you do. You're explaining to somebody else, I, I polish a car in this way, I would start in this way. And then you think, but why, why do I start this way? What other ways are there? And why don't I choose them? So you're having to think about it, justify it, write it down. And, and explain it and maybe explain the alternatives. And I mean, I, I think with detailing, validating, there, there are lots of ways to achieve the same thing. It's not a, an absolute, you know, yeah. it's not a, a massively process driven uh, result in that sense. And, and I've explained to people I've trained in the past, 
I'll show you the result that I want you to achieve. I will show you the tools that I use. I will show you the the safe and efficient ways to do this. You, you'll end up finding your own route to some extent. But yeah. th- this is the way that I do this. And, and ultimately with a franchise, what people should be buying is training. They're buying experience. They're buying the benefit of the franchisors. Uh, uh, the mistakes he's already made. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that's right. And uh, yeah, stuff like that. Now, the reality of that is our experience hasn't been uh, hasn't at the moment we're, we're without a franchise we've got a, an office in Scotland uh, operating as a franchise with PPF only uh, but as in terms of emulating what we do with the detailing side of stuff we're not we don't have a franchise at the moment we did um, and, it, and it didn't work out and I would say that the, the thing um, for the franchise or is you just cannot tell. It's a bit like a job interview. It's like taking somebody on and they'll say all the right things. But what you've got to do is make sure they understand. And I thought we did. And, and, and I don't, I still learning. Did we, did we make a mistake in, in the explaining? Um, but they just weren't prepared to work hard enough. They thought they were buying automatic success. And, mm. and we were pretty explicit to say, this is going to be a lot of hard work. You know, you're going to have to put in a lot of groundwork. Yeah. We're, we're not a company. Customers aren't provided necessarily. That's yeah. right. When you go buy into Chips Away, Revive, those kind of smart repair body shop franchises, a lot of that comes down to national contracts. So they'll have uh, I, names out of a hat. A Sitna group, for example, will all go to them for that repair. So you're walking into an instant order book um, that you can pick up and generate revenue. Well, that's, you know, for a smaller firm like ours, that wasn't the case. We have leads for where we, we went for that kind of stuff. But there's going to be a lot of groundwork. But the, the bit, the shortcut is that you've got... The, the knowledge, the backup, the phone call at any time to say, I'm struggling, how do I make this work? You know, we'll mm. go and visit, we'll sit down, we'll write business plans together, we'll look at leads, we'll look at how we contact people. But yeah, there, there's a lot of work still required by the franchisee and you, you, there's nothing you can do. And if they're not prepared to do that, you can't do it. And the thing is, I think because if you're if you're new into the business, you haven't got that baseline, you probably don't realise just how, how useful that sort of extra inputs and that that backup that little bit of knowledge base is when you're especially when you're just starting out even if you only go down that sort of franchise route for um sort of three or four years to get everything under your belt learn everything you you effectively can from that company and then break off and do something by yourself it really is a lot of benefit for relatively little money considering what you'd probably lose out making the mistakes trial and error that's right I mean you're into sort of contractual stuff as well there so typically with UK franchising law um, you would tend to have five year contracts at a time mm-hmm. so um, with a with a with the right to renew kind of changes it's, it's normally the franchise and like a non-compete so built into yeah. it that's, that's right yeah, yeah. Um, you know and, and, and people will tend to find that will be fiercely protected <laughs> because if you don't, people will walk all over you. Yeah, yeah. I think with franchises, I think if you do them properly and you find the right person, they are a, a, a brilliant thing. Yes, but I think the number of pitfalls, and particularly as us, you know, from a from a, a typical detailer of Alitas, not necessarily a kind of uh, not necessarily an entrepreneur. You might run your own business, but it doesn't mean you're a businessman. No, you see what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's it's something that needs to be handled with care. Yes. Um, but certainly something as as PBD, I spend a lot of time sort of helping people with, and usually becomes a conclusion that it's sort of not not appropriate at this time. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, away from all that businessy stuff. 
we are going to take a little pause now and uh, we'll be back soon with some more chat with Paul. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. If you are and you want to support us a little bit more, what you can do is go to ProDetailMagazine.com and check out some of our merchandise there. We've got some t-shirts, we've got some hats, we've got some cool posters. Have a look, see if there's anything you like. And we're back. Um, We have got the lovely Paul Townsend here and uh, we want to talk about a couple of really cool things. One of which is Paul is big into PPF. Yes. What percentage of your revenue roughly would you say is PPF? Let's throw you a numbers question. Uh, Yeah, I don't do numbers. Um, (laughs) Probably I would say 60 plus percent. So it's a uh, yeah, really substantial. Yeah. Yeah. And of course a PPF job is normally preceded by a detailing job, I would imagine. They're, They're very symbiotic. Yes. Yeah. No, that's cool. So one thing I wanted to talk about was, um, doing, um, ceramic coatings on top of PPF because uh, for quite a few years now there have been various things I know uh, you are a big Expel man aren't you yes. and they do their own fusion they do fusion coating yeah is Expel's own um, and Ceramic Pro is similar because they do the Kavica um, PPF and then they do coatings on top of that yep. uh, G-Tech of course got Halo yep. uh, and I think there are various others what's, what's the Car Pro one uh, should know but I don't it's Gion I've got one mm-hmm. yeah so they are a thing, but I was thinking, well, hang on, you've got PPF is for the protection. If you're then putting protection upon protection, you get to the point where, why don't you just put an extra layer of lacquer on the car? Well, unfortunately, know? after you put the ceramic on there, you have to put a wax on there to protect the ceramic. Yeah. So, and then you need to have a quick detailer to protect the wax. Yeah. And then just leave it in the garage. <laughs> in case in cement and uh, bury it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's car ownership nowadays. Um, so what's your take on it? Because we're just taking the Michael here, but you, you actually have hands-on experience with this sort of thing. Yeah, I, I'm not a big seller of, of ceramics onto PPF. Um, obviously, PPF does a different job to a ceramic coating, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we often have to explain that to customers. They think they're very, oh, should I have one or the other? And the answer is they work very well together, but they do do different things. Um so PPF on its own is typically the likes of the the um, the, the, the sort of top PPF, Kavica, Expel, Lumar, Suntec. They're very good. They're easy to look after. They're easy to live with. But like anything, they can stain. And the idea of the ceramic coatings, I think, really, is to just make those a little bit easier to look after. Because if you're washing a car, it's definitely nicer to wash a car that's covered in a ceramic coating than it is PPF. I will say that. Okay. So if somebody comes to you... Um, wanting wanting you to do it to them, that you would be happy to 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 put a coating on top of their PPF. We, so yeah, we, we do do that. I don't particularly push it. Um, I, one of those, there's mixed bags. I've not seen it long enough for myself to be confident in what it offers because it's not cheap. The the yeah. coatings are quite expensive. Um, they're not particularly nice to use, which isn't a customer problem. That's our problem. Uh, but of course, it becomes a customer's problem when it's time consuming and therefore it's more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, the benefits need to be there for us to be confident. I won't just sell something as a markup. We need to we need to see a benefit. We need to be confident it's going to offer them something extra because otherwise they're going to question us and that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- th- there's been a little bit of, and this is subjective, I've got nothing to back this up, um, but the, the groups that we talk or, or that we're members of in, in the States primarily, um, 
there's been question marks over do coatings actually pri- uh, uh, promote staining on, mm-hmm. on especially on lighter colour cars where they've got PPF on, uh, tyre dressings and whatnot. I, I, I'm not sure. It, it's very much an opinion rather than anything factual, but we're keeping an eye on it. Yeah, um, no, it's an interesting... interesting I, I'm surprised story. up until now because they, they do seem to be able to um, impregnate a lot of finishes into into PPS on tries. There's, there's not a, a film being developed that has got a, a super hydrophobic surface to it or that it, is, is that down to how flexible they have to be to, to go on? A, a little bit. So I, as I understand it, I mean, they're very secretive about it. All the film manufacturers are super secretive about it. But as I understand it, the coated product, so uh, for example, because we, we are now exclusively Expel, the coating does have, uh, sorry, the film does have a, a natural degree of hydrophobic behaviour, okay. not super hydrophobic. Uh, but as I understand it, if you want it more hydrophobic, you will end up sacrificing some of the self-healing nature of it, which mm-hmm. of course is a massive benefit mm-hmm. to the to the film. Um, so I, I personally would rather it be better at self-healing and perhaps every few months just use, I could buy a ceramic-infused quick detail or a spray um, or a spray wax, something like that with a degree of, of hydrophobic property to it. Um, and that's all you want of it, that you can just literally buff, wipe on and buff off. And will they adhere okay to PPF? Things like a spray wax or spray sealant? Uh, they, they go on fine, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's like anything. There's, uh, will it bond at a chemical level? No. It, it, none, none of them do. That, that's not that's not what they do. It's purely a, a wipe on and a spray on and wipe off kind of product. Well, I suppose, I mean, ultimately paint is plastic, as is PPF ultimately, so it's all all the same shebang. Well, that's cool. Um, one thing, when when you're, uh, you know, not detailing, um, I know that you go on the odd tour. You do the petrol head tours. Yes, I, I've, I've, uh, I, I want to do more. I've sort of more recently got a car that, that I, I deem to be uh, a, a little bit more tour worthy. Yeah, you um, turned up in a very tasty, it's a CLK 500? It is, yes. And uh, so that's a 55 V8 and you've had yours mapped to 410 horsepower. Or do we not tell the insurance? Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, it, it's all de- it's all declared. It's all declared. Of course it is. Um, and <laughs> and it's it's very nice. And you were saying you're not a Mercedes man, but you do rather like uh, the Mercedes. No, I do like V8s though, so that that worked out quite well. Um, <laughs> I'm, it, I'm sitting here with the with the second fastest Mercedes on the driveway now, which is <laughs> quite it, 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 it's it's not a forever car. It's um it's something that came up. It's, it's, it's quite amusing. It's 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 a bit of an old man spec. It's subtle. It's quite quiet. But yeah, it's it's a, it's appreciably quick. So it, it it'll do very well. So I'm doing a tour in um in of the Scottish Highlands next month with Petrohead Tours, mm-hmm. which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I, I did a tour of California California and Nevada awesome. uh, back in 2018 with uh, Pete Osborne, who, who runs Petrohead Tours. Um, and it was one of the best weeks I've ever had. It was great. Yeah. I, I, was, I was on my own in the car, uh, which was I could listen to whatever choice of music with nobody complaining. Yep. Uh, a convertible Corvette. We did about two and a half thousand miles of just stomping around desert and mountain roads and all sorts. It, it was just the best thing ever. That sounds so fun. And, and Pete, we know Pete as well. We eat curry with him occasionally and he's, he's a very lovely man. He uh, is. Uh, the, the, the great thing about the tours is uh, I, I think... It's not just a tour company. Pete makes that because the work that Pete puts into that yeah. is phenomenal. The back, you know, he spent, it sounds fun, but he, he has spent 
thousands of hours, you know, just, just yeah. trawling the roads to find the best route. And, and for me, I spend, as a business owner, I spend all day making decisions or all week, in, you know, having to think about everything. It's the, the, the so it's nice to me. actually have that all done for you. It, you just switch off. You just yeah. know hotels are booked. You know where there's, there's going to be fuel en route. You're not worried about running out of fuel. You're not worried about where there's going to be something to eat. Get a coffee. It's just taken care of. And if you've got a question, Pete's got the answer. It's it, kind of an automotive dominatrix. Powerful men quite like dominatrixes because they tell them what to do, I'm told. Yeah, that's not how I, quite how I'd looked at it, but... No, but now, you say now, now you're looking but at now, it like that. now that's in your head. It's yeah. going to make for an awkward trip around Scotland, really, Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be glad to uh, look Pete in the eye next time. Thanks for that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'll make sure he's in leather. Um, but, uh, yeah, what's weird is uh, the that engine in your Mercedes, because obviously uh, James over at TI-22 had a very similar car, but his was pre he had the Yeah, he, he had the, the 55 AMG. Yeah. And then um, Mr. Uh, Gordon Muir has an E500 in the same colour as yours, right. which is very nice. So I don't know whether it is a sort of, when you're a senior detailer, you kind of grow up and get yourself a Mercedes. Although, but, but then Ian, yeah. he's got a Mercedes now. I also have to grow up cha- as well. That's, that's the Chevy yeah. one. Though. <laughs> it is, it is. It's the, it's the, it's the hatchback. Um, <laughs> he's, you very much like your new Mercedes though, don't you? Yes, I was surprised how much I do like it, actually. I thought it was going to be a car that I'd buy and after 12 months get rid of it, but after driving it, it's actually my favourite car I've owned so far, yeah. I think. Well, I'm falling it's back It's quite sad love. being an automatic as well. I think I've just got lazy. No, but it's not... Getting old, I think, yeah. is the word. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, isn't yours a, a flappy paddle, though? Yes. It is a flappy paddle automatic. Yes, but I don't use them because I'm lazy. Oh, That's we've just covered. Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, we, we won't be doing a, a car news feature, but I would like to say that Boris is now back, road legal MOT'd and uh, performing brilliantly. I went down to Somerset and picked up this very table along with many others at the same time. And uh, yeah, so he's he's there and I'm, I'm going to try and get him to 500,000 miles. That's my aim. Um, but we currently have to have a family decision whether we keep the Forester or Boris. So my money's on Boris, but that's mostly because I can get more for the Forester. But anyway, <laughs> that is an aside. Um, so uh, the final thing that I kind of wanted to touch on, we have got some quick fire questions coming, but the final thing I wanted to touch on is uh, you are a PVD board member. Yes. And as such, you helped us develop the assessment system. And you were, in fact, the very first person or, or small group of people who took the assessments. Um, what do you feel the kind of assessment system that we've introduced, which is quite, you know, it's quite a dividing thing. A lot of people are saying mm. uh, they don't want to take it because they don't see the need or they don't see the benefit or they're too good um, or they're too nervous. And the latter category, I'm trying very hard to, to kind of bring around. Um, but from your experience, where, where do you feel the benefit is uh, from your experience of the assessment side? I, I would honestly say it's something I was really pleased to be in, involved with and to be asked to be involved with um, I, I don't see there's any downsides to it I, I think anything we can do to raise the profile and the credibility of our members and therefore the, the industry mm-hmm. and set ourselves apart as business owners we're all looking to set ourselves apart from competition uh, from you know people we consider ourselves to be better than mm-hmm. and I, I think um I, I don't get the resistance to, to, to the assessments. I understand that some people, they might not be perhaps feel the most academically, uh, um, you know, focused people. And that's fine. It's not about that. It's not about trying to catch people out. It's about trying to, um, to just to, to be able to something they can be proud of and to show mm. that they are responsible, safe, uh, competent, 
that they run their business properly, the, the, the other sort of parts of PVD that proven that you're insured, that you're, you know, you're running a business properly. I think that's brilliant. And, and I would encourage people to do so. I, I genuinely don't get any resistance to it. Mm. I think I mean, as well, once, once you've proved that you're, that word responsible, that you're, you know that you can run a business successfully, that you can uh, take steps to insure yourself. If you're taking care of those sort of aspects, then the general knowledge you just kind of assume is there anyway. Because if you, if you if you're taking all the other the, the further steps, as it were, you you just assume that you're you're competent everywhere else. Yeah, and it, it's really good at finding gaps. I mean, we've had quite a few failures, um, both of the practical and of the theory one. Um, and in all cases, which has been really good, because there's there's, nothing there's been no abject there. failures. Um, there, there, there's been quite a few. It, they're, they're generally not off by far. No, not because, off, not because these, far, these guys have already gone through a, a sort of a, pre- a preliminary. Yeah, about Well, we've had also new 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 members who now it's compulsory in order to get into the trade association to do it, and we've had a couple who haven't haven't um, quite reached it there. But the um, I mean the pass mark's set to eighty, so it's quite a high quite a high pass. But, but that can only be seen as a good thing because it means yeah. there's holes in it. Because we're all learning. There, there, there's absolutely you know nobody who can stand and say they know it all. They, yeah. they, they just can't. None of us can um so if that means that you've highlighted to yourself it's 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 not about criticism is it that that's the thing and i think some people have felt attacked or some people have felt um i i I think it's a shame that some people are are, are kind of feel they're above it Mm. I, i don't I don't think that's a healthy attitude to have. Um, I understand there's a perceived there's there's an actual cost to doing a test. I appreciate there's a day out of your business, but really, it's not it's not a big ask. It's not. Um, and what's what's nice is whether they pass or fail, that we do a lot of feedback. And so many people, we have uh, one guy who's been in the trade for probably as long as you have, and we've had a, there are a couple of little bits and bobs. And he's like, oh, I kind of slipped into a bad habit. Or yeah, I, complacency know, is is the the, the, the problem with with. Uh, We've we've bumped into people, and I remember earlier in my career. Oh, I, I've been doing this, you know, twenty years. I've been doing this a long time. It doesn't mean that you're doing it right, or it might mean that you were doing it right then. But things have changed, and yeah. chemistry's changed, and the techniques have changed, and machines have changed. There, there there might be a better way of doing that, and if you can yeah. educate that to yourself, it can only be for your benefit. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of the the the, the people who don't want to do it are doing it because they've got an ego i think i think if they outwardly they have an ego but i think mostly there is a a, a fear factor of failure and mm. it's something that they need to get over frankly um because it's a natural thing yeah because there, 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 there's no shame in failure and that kind of thing because it's not a it's not a public ridicule or anything no, like no. that there's only a very small handful of people who ever see the results of any of the tests and all of those people are there to help you exactly exactly that and and people have come back you know and and, and said right well how do i fix this and they're engaging and that we feel that as a consequence they're now making running a better business providing customers with a better service and being safer to themselves because there is a lot of about ppe and that sort of thing um um, and it, it really is a value add um, overall. It's not about trying to make people do everything the one true way. <laughs> no, <laughs> but you wouldn't question it. This is, as we said earlier, it's not a direct comparison. I'm not suggesting it is, but you wouldn't question a gas fitter. It wouldn't question doing corgi or an electrician. I, I know it's just part of what you do. It's just part of what you do. Yeah. And it means that customers then have a degree of assurance that you have been assessed, that you do know what you're doing, that, that it's... Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, potentially it's, it can even form thing. it can even form a barrier to entry. You know, an industry which is very cheap and easy to get into. As a consequence, we have a lot of issues. Yep. Um, you know, if it's seen as a kind of thing that everybody should do, then it starts becoming a, a barrier to entry, and then you do end up with that kind of you know higher quality the other side of that barrier, yep. um, which will do us all favours. Yes. And when it comes to asking for thirty five or fifty pound an hour off somebody, um, it's much easier to do that. Say, look, I'm kind of effectively qualified um, as opposed to just somebody just kind of come off the street so to speak um so yeah it's it's an interesting thing and we are pursuing it and it's really just a matter now of, of trying to get as many people to do the remote theory which we developed during covid but we're keeping on and then we can book practical days where we'll get three six nine people through uh in like half day sessions on the practical side um still maintaining an element of social distancing and all that sort of thing um so i'm just really hoping that we can get that back revved up in the next couple of months now things are open um, but that's cool. Um, so now I am going to turn to quick fire 12 questions. Now, the idea with this, it's new, you are guinea pig for it, um, is that not to, not each question should lead on to a big uh, debate or anything like that. We're looking for simple, you know, single phrase answers quickly. So what comes first into your head? So the first one, I've made it quite easy. What's your current car? A Mercedes CLK 500. And what's the first car you professionally detailed? A Series 1 Lotus Elise. Gorgeous. Um, what is your money, no object dream car? Some sort of resto mods, Goldwing SL Mercedes. Oh, 300 SL. I'd, 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 I'd dig that. I hadn't even thought about resto modding one of those because they're worth so much money as they are. Sultan and I did one with with running uh, SL55 running gear. I saw it at an auction. It was fabulous. Awesome. Although I do like the three litre engine in that. It's quite a clever engine in the original Stelling Moscow. Anyway. Uh, I'm the one making it slow. Um, DA or rotary? DA. Uh, how many bouquets or buckets? Uh, however many you need to do the job properly. Okay, well, that's not... That's not would, you, would you consider two or three or...? or? Uh, we, we do not need more than two buckets. Okay, there we go. Ceramic or wax? Ceramic. Interesting. Ferrari or Porsche? Neither. Mm, correct answer. Subaru or Mitsubishi, and you can't repeat answers. Mitsubishi. Bastard. Um, Flex or Rupes? Rupes. Uh, what would be your dream car to detail? I've never put my hands on a Jaguar XJ220, and that is a poster, oh. poster car. I have, but I got kicked out of Bewley. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't my hands. <laughs> I sat in one at, at VMAX, but uh, yeah, no, I never got to detail one. So that, oh. that's on uh, something I'd like to do. There's a lot of paint on those as well. There's a lot of them. They're a big There's car. Big cars. Um, and your... Um, Final question here, actually. We're going for 11 questions because we're special. Um, Sunday drive or Sunday detail? Drive. And perfect car, perfect road, which ones? Oh, oh, I don't know. That's that's a big question, yeah. man. That's a really big question. Um, yeah, yeah. Something like a, a, a Porsche GT3, a 911 GT3 on, on, a, on a road down sort of... Um, I'm guessing bit, Spain or Italy. I was, I was going to say a bit of Swiss Alps, something like that. Although saying that, Los Angeles National Forest, yes. we, we did that in a convertible Corvette. That, that was pretty hard to beat. Did yeah. you manage to make it through in a, a America in a convertible without hitting an eagle? Because <laughs> then, then, then you've got a better record than one other person at this table. <clears throat> Goodness me, I'm surprised you're not in prison. Uh, yeah, I, I'd nearly murdered a bald eagle with a Mustang and it, it flew into us. We were doing about 40 miles an hour and it was in Virginia and it went through the radiator, plastic radiator grill and it has a pusher fan. So basically the fan was in front of the radiator on this one and uh, it was trying to pull itself in towards a spinning fan. <laughs> Bear in mind, it was about minus... Just kill me now! 
<laughs> it was about minus 10 degrees, something like that. It's really cold. Everything was kind of permafrosted. And uh, a, a warden, a park warden came over and he was a, he was a, a, a picture of a man, big, big bloke. And then, of course, big pickup truck. And he was on the phone and he, he, he said, hang on, I've got to leave it. I'm not going to do an accent because they're terrible. Um, he was talking to a friend or something like that. We've got, got some tourists have been murdering our, our, our national bird like this. <laughs> got in the back of his, his pickup, just picked up gauntlets because obviously everybody has gauntlets for it. And these were proper leather kinky yeah, ones, yeah. not sort of welding gloves. Um, pulled the bird out and most of the radiator with it and threw it up and it took off and it flew away. It was fine. <laughs> and just left me with a rental car with a very smashed up front end. This was 2015 when the Mustang had just come out. We had the very first one that oh. I think budget had. Um, and then we went down to Miami and found the dodgiest body shop in Miami to fix the bumper, put on new parts and everything. And it cost $70 for them to take the bumper off, put a new grill in, put the bumper on, do a smart repair. And the part I got from Ford for about 120. But the labor rate down there was amazingly cheap. Wow. So yeah, that was, that I wasn't expecting to go through that story. But anyway, um, <laughs> could be worse. <laughs> yes. And if anyone from budget was listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, we fixed it all. And uh, yeah, the only, uh, only extras we had to pay was $900 in speeding fines. That was Lens, wasn't it? Uh, well, we're not sure. He got stopped by the police. And he you got put it ticket. on his credit card. No, he didn't. I, well, I got the ticket because the policeman. But no, I thought you said his, his credit card was lodged with uh, with budget. Uh, yeah, his credit card was with budget, and I just walked off because he owed me money for various other things. But, <laughs> yeah, no, there's all oh, that story. It's not. Oh, it's, it's not, not as if Len lives, listens to this podcast. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But if I talk to Christ, yeah, I won't mention Daytona 500 and the crossdresser. Um, <laughs> it's a very awkward story involving six police cars. Um, so uh, I am going to say uh, goodbye, Paul. Uh, Thank you very much for coming all the way over here to Westshire, as, oh. as Don Colbeck used to call it. Thank you for having me. Thank oh, you for asking. It's been a, been a pleasure. And hopefully we'll get you back at some point soon. Look forward to it. Um, and uh, Ian and I will be uh, talking to more clever and interesting people to make us look sort of clever and interesting. Well, I don't think they'll make us look clever and interesting, but they'll bring they'll bring an aura to the whole place, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, they'll, they'll, they'll improve matters. So Between, between um, that and the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And thank you very much for listening. Hello, everybody. I just wanted to remind you that we have updated the Pro Detailer Mega Pack. It now includes issues 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, along with the Wax Talk Show Guides back from 2018 and 2019, bit of memorabilia. And you also get a couple of air fresheners. It's $44.99, including UK postage, and we can also ship it abroad. Grab it now for the full back catalogue and save £14. Pounds.